The Great God Pan by Donna Jo Napoli Part 1 Fateful Meeting Chapter 1 Father Pan booms the voice I know so well. Come with me to Olympus. Father! I jump up and trot to him. We hug. What sudden pleasure! Father's face glows. Pleasure? Yes. But for now, we have to hurry. The gods are fighting on Olympus, and the same old thing. I cut him off. Squabbles amongst the gods bore me. This squabble appears to be important. Hera's furious at Zeus. Hera's always furious at Zeus, I say. He's the most roving husband ever, and she's the most nagging wife ever. This is different. What harm can one squabble make? There's a prophecy of a war in a year or two. Father rubs the back of his neck. Then he laughs. But in the long term, none of it is of any consequence. People die, and we gods go on forever regardless. So forget Olympus, I say. Explore the meadow. The air sings with spring. We walk side by side, though it's all I can do to keep from prancing in excitement. Visits from father are always fun. He is Hermes, the god of trickery, after all. He loves a good joke. There's another hour or two of daylight left before night. We can share the best time of day. I let loose and run in a circle around him, climb every boulder we pass, jump and skip. After a while, Father stops to adjust his wing slippers. He doesn't say anything, but I can see his annoyance. Nature doesn't hold his attention the same way it holds mine, and he'd rather fly everywhere he goes. But I have hooves that take off at a walk, a trot, a run, and before I even think to stop them, I have to make this walk exciting for father if I'm hoping to keep him with me. A man on horseback cuts through the trees beyond the meadow. What luck! I lift my eyebrows at father. Ah, could be good fun, he says, and we race after the horseman. The man jumps off and joins a group of three other men sitting in a circle. We watch from behind a tree. The caravan will be here within the hour, says the man. How many guards? asks one man. Two. The fools, says another. Are you sure there's enough there to make it worth the danger? asks the third. It's carrying the Queen of Argo's jewels, you idiot. Father and I back away until we are out of earshot. Outlaws deserts tricks, Father says with a grin. I'm already way ahead of him. Follow me. I race through the trees and across the meadow where I see a familiar row of woven wicker baskets attached to the fence, each holding a hive, a bee farm. Aha! A bee zips past my nose. She's a scout. Bees have swarmed and left their hive. The workers congregate on a branch with their queen. I inspect the old hives in the baskets. We're lucky. Another is just about to swarm. I free the baskets from the fence and hold it out towards father. He puts his hands up. You're the god of beekeeping, Pan, not me. Besides, I've got sensitive skin and you're a hairy brute. He laughs. From the waist down, I am a goat, but above the waist, only hints of goats are my ears and horns and the fur on my cheeks. My torso skin is just like his, but there is no point in arguing. He's afraid of bees, and I am not. The hive inside the basket buzzes loudly, ready to sting. I run as fast as I can towards the road. There is a carriage rattling along. Father flies ahead of me. I hear women screaming, but by the time I reach the caravan, Father has explained the situation and calmed everyone down. The sight of me starts them all screaming again. Typical human dunces. 
The Queen of Argos isn't in this caravan. She follows tomorrow. The servants open the jewelry box and stuff the queen's necklaces, armbands, and other baubles here and there about their persons. When the box is empty, I drop into the hive basket and close the box so fast I escape without a sting. The servants get back into the caravan with the box and continue on their way. Father and I follow, covered by trees that flank the road. The outlaws burst into view. Aye, the servants howl. Thieves! They hand over the box. I wish we could hear what everyone's saying. We're missing half the fun. The outlaws gallop off into the trees as the caravan leaves. Father flies after the outlaws and I race behind. We find them hunched over, opening the jewelry box. Perfect. The hive swarms. The bees in outlaws' hairs, noses, and mouths. Clouds of bees chase the men to their horses, the horses that bolt at the first buzz. Horses and men mixed, helter-skelter, shouting and neighing as father and I fall on each other laughing. We leap out at them, and the shouts turn into screams. Wonderful chaos. Panic, says father proudly. Pan causes panic. Come home with me, father. I take him by the hand and pull him along. I'll make you all of your favorite foods. Come. And he does. Father has so many children, yet I am the one he visits most often. I never knew my mother, but I also know my father very well. We eat and drink late into the night. Then I prepare a bed of the densest, most fragrant fir needles in the deepest part of the cave and convince father to stay the night. The sounds of his sleeping breath makes me smile. We got through the whole evening without arguing about how I live. He didn't even criticize the soul... Uh, Solven condition of my cave. I lie awake listening to the mingling of our breaths and look forward to sweet dreams. Chapter 2. Scorpions. You are an unwashed, hairy, nosy, inconsistent, and smelly. I wake up and blink, clearing my eyes to the morning's gift of a mead leaning into my cave. She gives a little yank to a tuft of my cheek fur and grins down at me. For all the world, I swear the woman is as beautiful as Aphrodite, despite her uncombed hair and wild eyes. Or rather, because of them. Others may call meads maddened women, but I find their free ways all the more delicious. Sweet thing, I whisper with a grin that matches hers. Am I really that attractive? I put a finger to my lips. Father is still asleep. Half goat, half man. Perfect pan, she shimmies. You're awake, shaggy fellow, so get up. Come play with me. She runs uh, her toes along my ribs. I grab her foot and nibble. She laughs. Unfair, just because you have no toes to torment. She leans over and wraps her knuckle on my right hoof. Then she pulls me to a stand. My sisters are out of sight already. We have to hurry to catch up. Really? I stretch my arm around the mead's waist and dance with her, flailing and flopping. A yellow cloud of pollen rises from our stomping. The flower lets out a gasp of gratitude. We go faster, always laughing. She shrieks as we tumble down the grassy slope and land near a small pond. A dragonfly hovers over us. His segmented tail twitches. His wings shimmer. The mead smiles at him, then untangles her hair from my horns. Clumsy pan, she licks my nose. And salty, have you every virtue? He's my son, isn't he? Father appears beside us. 
The Miyad scrambles to her feet. Great God Hermes, she says, her eyes lowered. I stand. Good morning, father. I hope you slept well. I leave you to the pleasures of each other's company. But the Miyad's already run in the direction of her sisters. Farewell, great Hermes, she calls. Until next time, Pan, her giggle fades into the distance. Father watches her enter the woods and disappear. Can a mere Miyad cause such pleasure? Mere? The Miyads the are my best friends. They are dear. I'm glad this one didn't hear Father. She might have winced. But I don't challenge him. After all, I can tell from the tone of his voice, the tapping of his foot, that he considers a frolic. As usual. They make me laugh, I say. Are they as much fun as an ordinary human? Ordinary humans are rude to me, like those stupid servants in the caravan yesterday, at least until they found out I'm a god. I avoid them. The Miads, on the other hand, are extraordinary humans. They've abandoned town life, leaving behind civilization's rules to follow their natural impulses, many of which suit me perfectly. I don't know. Hmm. Miads welcome anyone in their drunken frenzies, even satyrs. He went, winks. My son can do better. Satyrs are bestial and crude, half goat, half human. Ignorant souls confuse me with them, but the Miads know I am no satire. Satyr. They must, don't they? The Miads welcome me, father. They welcome Pan. Well, at least they're mortal, father says. So if you get mixed up with one and things go wrong, you don't have to put up with her for long. Mixed up? You know what I mean, Pan. You're foolish enough to let yourself feel genuine affection despite the curse. The curse. I stamp my hoof in annoyance at the stupid curse, and I think the idea stinks that meads are fine to dally with because they die. My father can be such a loose. I yank at the dandelion puff. Flowers are mortal. I blow the seeds into his face. And immortal. In their own way. Spoken like the god of nature that you are. He laughs agreeably. Okay, stick to those lovelies. Better them than immortal nymphs. Nymphs, who are the most beautiful of creatures, have always found me ug ugly and disgusting. But the Miads enjoy me just as I am. That's why I prefer them, not because they're mortal. This line of talk gets ever more irritating. Are you ready to come to Olympus, father? Brushes the dandelion seeds away. And maybe stay this time? Live with the gods and enjoy your true home again? I knew this was coming. I told you yesterday. Go without me. Calm down. There's no cause for anger. Father flicks his fingers on the back of my pointed ear. Little god, little goat. His finger flicks tickle. He does this whenever I'm mad at him, and it always works. I can't help but laugh. My whole life, father and I have always laughed together. You'll have fun, he says. Everyone on Olympus misses you. You're their favorite. But I hate these meetings. Don't make me come. All right, says father. For this time, I'll tell everyone you need to go scattering seeds. He winks, then hugs me and disappears. Gone, just like that. I wander. The day started so full. Two visitors. Now it seems empty. But what a foolish thought. The morning is noisy with life making new life. A woodpecker banging rhythmically, calling for a mate so late in the season. He's right. On a spring day, anything is possible. I walk faster. 
This is my realm, the meadows and the forest and the beasts and all nature, even human nature. Heaps of stone stretched out ahead. I let a whoop and leap from pinnacle to pinnacle. I leap and leap and ay! Fiery pain shoots up the middle of my left hoof. I grab it with both hands and hop. A half-mashed scorpion writhes where I step. Gods are immortal, I scream. You can't kill me. But you can paralyze me, I'm thinking. You can make me miserable. I picked up a stone and pound the scorpion until the pieces scatter, all the while balancing on one hoof. My head runs hot with fear. Have I been poisoned? But breath comes easy. No wheezing. My vision is clear. My mouth is dry. Good signs, the surgeon of Asclepius would say. I examine the underside of my left hoof. The soft, fleshy center quickly swells, but the pain already subsides. I lower my face to the remnants of the scorpion. You are dead for eternity, while I hobble for a day at most. That's what happens when a mortal creature takes on a god. But now the pieces of the creature look pathetic. This is the morning of butterflies. Flies and scorpions, small life which larger forms depend on in ways they cannot guess. And what else could the scorpion do but sting? I stepped on it. I tapped the pieces of my fingertips, drawing them together, unlucky soul. Two huge scorpions bask in the sun on the rock just ahead. One is male, the other is female. I rub my hands in delight. May your spirit watch, I whispered to the dead scorpion. I close my eyes, my ears, my limbs. I shrink inward. My chest squeezes to almost nothing. My outsides crackle as I implode. I am scorpion. With both pincers raised, I walk across the rock face towards the male. He jumps to attention and raises his own pincers. He seems tiny a moment ago, and now he could rip a pincer off of me. Or a leg. I'd be deformed forever. I stop. I should transform back to my true self. Consoling the spirit of the scorpion isn't worth the risk. I did kill him, though, and all I can need now is a few minutes to set things right. A few minutes. And luck. My innards shake. I back up. The male runs at me, stops, and waves those pincers. Is the female blind that she takes no notice? I tremble and back up more, so scared that I can barely hold this form. The female stirs at last. She lifts her thin tail, and the sharp curved stinger drips venom from the tip. Delicate. Arousing. I know everything this female wants. I know everything this male wants. This is why I change shapes. This is how I know nature better than anyone else. I'm caught between the scorpions, both of whom would kill me in their own way. My fear grows until I race over the edge of the rock and throw myself off. Not in an instant too soon. I transform mid-air and crash into a boulder. I put my hands to the base of my horns. Oh, my poor head. I limp back to the scorpions to see that they dance across the rock, tails intertwined over their heads, her pincers trapped in his. After mating, he skitters away, but she catches his tail, flips him, and they fight. He's faster. She's larger. I back away as the female eats the male. It seems a mistake of nature that mating should be so dangerous. My fingertips sweep together the pieces of the scorpion. I crushed. 
See, the eggs will hatch inside the female are my gift to you, a replacement of sorts. Now we are even. Except my head throbs where I smashed it and my hoof hurts a little still. I looked around, fearful. But why? There's no reason I should feel this way. Chapter 3. Nymphs. Gnats from nowhere swarm around my head, st sticky as I walk. I swat them away and trot, flicking my ears, the way father flicked them when he called me little goat. I am half goat, half god because of father, a hybrid. The story of my curse began when father saw his half-sister, Aphrodite, bathing in the river of Achilles in all of her splendid beauty, and sent an eagle to steal her sandal. He wouldn't give it back until she agreed to lie with him. This is not unusual. The gods of Olympus have a habit of taking pleasure whether it is offered or not, even from a sister. Aphrodite had a child she named Hermaphroditus. A fountain nymph fell in love with the youth Aphrodite, but he spurned her. So she prayed to the gods for help, and they merged her with him, making him part man, part woman. No one he since loved has ever returned his love. Aphrodite blamed father for their child misery. It wasn't his fault, but that didn't stop her. She put a curse on his next child, who was born of the nymph Dryope, and who was me. Aphrodite's Hermaphroditus is male and female, and I am goat and god, because Aphrodite said father behaved like a goat when he took her. Other gods I can transform into whatever shape I wish, with one restriction. I can never transform into a full god or a full goat. Neither half of me could ever be whole. Aphrodite thought this would mean I'd be lonely, for who could love a hybrid? Aphrodite, the goddess of love, cursing someone to be unlovable. Now that's a conundrum. But the curse hasn't bothered me one bit. I'm never lonely. I'm special amongst the god and goats. As for unrequited love, it can't happen without first falling in love, and I have never experienced the feeling. Father didn't need to warn me about getting mixed up. It just didn't seem to be my nature. Both the male and female parts of the unfortunate hermaphrodites yearns for love but my only god half has any sense of what love is and that is but an inkling my goat half enjoys the pleasures of any female without losing itself to any so the way i see it aphrodite did me a favor from nowhere returns a hint of the fear i felt after the female scorpion ate the male why? Why just now when I was thinking about love? Ah, a warning, for the male was destroyed, but I could never be destroyed by love. A breeze comes up carrying the scent of peonies and salmon-covered cones of lupine blooms into the right, catches my eye as I prance. Yellow buttercups make a path for me, yellow like gold, and such a gorgeous day I have to skip. Pan sighs the quivering leaves pan murmurs the tender buds pan you horned fellow come play with us the air wavers with giggles come please us i should have known the colors so brash sweet dryads i call spinning in a circle 
Do you compete to win my attention? A face forms in the bark of a lone tall oak. She smiles at me. And why not, you handsome fellow? Handsome. I put the hands, my hands on the patches of my cheek fur. I am told that my birth, my own... I am told at my birth my own mother screamed and fled. My father accepted me joyfully and raised me on Mount Olympus, but my mother never talked to me, not once. Do you sport with me yet again, I say, to the face in the tree? Mating is no trifle. Don't be stern, Pan. Was it not you who sported the scorpions a moment ago? So they were watching, nosy things. I was repaying a debt. What debt can a lowly scorpion hold over a god? Whatever debt I wish, I say with a smile. The head and the arms of the dryads emerge from the oak trunk. Her hair swings forward. Have you no debt to me? And to me, said another lilting voice. And me? A third? We color your grounds. We perfume your airs. Dearest Pan, you who love nature most of all, you owe us heartily. Dryads extend their hands from the bushes all around, but the one in the tree lures me most. Her thighs begin to form from the bark, brown and strong and ready. I take a step towards her. So it's me? Good choice. Come. I shouldn't. No nymph. Not the naiads of the water, nor the orids of the mountains, or the dryads of the plants. No nymph of any sort has ever received me, even as a friend, much less a lover. "'Handsome fellow,' she calls in a warm voice. I step forward. "'But wait, most welcome Pan,' she holds up a hand. "'Come to me in a new form, since it looks like, as of this day, it is destined for transformations. "'I haven't the strength for another transformation. "'I should shake my head, but her toes peek from the bark. "'Small and kissable, her ankles are slim. "'What form, I ask, my breath shallow?' How about a man, comes a voice from behind, a nice big man with legs and feet that have toes. The nymphs know this is impossible. Either half of me is better than a full man, I say. That's right, says the tree dryad. She smiles. Ignore my sisters. You choose the shape, Pan. She lifts one graceful leg from the tree. You are the god, after all. If only I could become a vine and wrap her tight around me. If only I could caress her with the wide grape leaves like so many hands everywhere. But the precision takes more energy than I have. He's hesitating, says a voice. Completely out of juice, says another. What a simpleton he was to waste himself on the scorpion, comes a third. Such a lowly creature. No creature is too lowly for the god of nature, says my dryad. I can't tell if she's mocking or wise. I wish I could understand her eyes. I can read thoughts in the eyes of any kind of creature except those I can never transform into. But I have to transform. I have to. For her. And I can play a well-known god trick. I stretch my neck and chin to the heavens. I hold my arms out to both sides. Finger spreads. All of me narrows, elongates, muscles and bones, hairs and teeth and hooves. I become a sheet of water, glorious rain. I sway forward to envelop the charming dryad. My spray wets her ruddy cheeks. 
luscious maiden, my first nymph, my darling. But these sensations are too fine, too wonderful, I can't hold the form. She's already laughing, counting on me being too excited to stay transformed. I collapse into me, goat god, drenched and limp in the mud I caused. The air rings with nymph laughter as I look up to the tree. All I see is bark. Very funny. I shake off the mud. Will he ever learn? Comes a voice. Hopefully not. Another. You should have been Eros's child, little Pan. Whispers the nymph of the oak. Now totally hidden. He is the god of love. I puff out my chest. Eros? Hermes has just as many conquests. Such a fool for love, says a nymph. You flatter yourself, pretty maidens, I say. There is a sea of difference between love and lust. Do you mean to say you do not love me? Comes the voice of my dryad. Oh, boo-hoo, poor little me. Lust or love, says another, it doesn't matter. Pan is unlucky in both. And they're laughing again. I just go on my way. They think they insult me, these maidens who pass their lives in plants. It's ludicrous. I tell them as much if I didn't pity their situation. They are boring, really, compared to the meads. Besides, the meads are honest and direct. You can trust a mead, while all you can do with a nymph is wonder. I head for the clearing, every part of me alert. A flock grazes this meadow. An iwi near the edge looks up, frightened. I have never understood how sheep can be so harebrained while goats are so curious and intelligent. The Iwe moves closer to the others, who chew their cud in contented companionship. Dull and slow, all of them. Yip, 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 bee! I yell and race through the flock. They scatter in panic. Pan causes panic. That's what father said last night. I roll in the meadow laughing.